Hey guys, I'm so excited to present you season two of Afro Horror. We're going to have some really great guests on this season. I want to say this first episode with Candyman, my audio is absolutely terrible. Turns out I wasn't actually speaking into my mic, but my computer was picking up audio from my dreaded AirPods. Anyway, Chris and Reagan sound great. So if you can make it through that, it really is a great episode. We really deep dive into Candyman from 1992, talk a little bit about the trailer for 2020 or maybe 2021 at this point. And we also talk about Chris and Reagan's new picture, Charcuterie, coming to a theater near you. Enjoy. Now I'm going to tell you what it is, okay? It's a dumbass white movie about some dumbass white girls getting their white asses cut the fuck up, okay? Yeah, I suppose Sandra Bullock is Miss Ethnicity, right? Well, no, all I'm saying is that the horror genre is historical for excluding the African-American elements. Well, look how you get your PhD in black cinema, sister soldier. Welcome back, everyone. This is Afro Horror Season 2. I'm so excited. I'm so sorry it took so long to get to this. Um, last year, I filmed two films back-to-back at the production company, and it took up all my time. But now that we are in Corona land, I have no choice but to catch back up. Um, I'm here. I'm joined today by two wonderful ladies. One you'll recognize from Afro Horror Season 1 is Chris Courtney Martin. Hey, what it do, party people? She's back. And uh, my next guest I'm super excited to have on the show. It's her first time with us, but we have spoken many, many times before this. Miss Reagan <laughs> Gomez. Hello, hello. She is calling from her car. We're all using Zoom <laughs> to get through this podcast. Um, so just, just know that if there's any audio interference, that's we're trying, you guys. We're, we're trying yes. to social distance. We're trying to stay safe and uh do it the right way so what i really i'm so excited reagan you're joining us today uh yes. if you guys didn't know chris and reagan um have a film together that's in pre-production and uh let's kick it off with chris because you wrote the film right a horror film called charcuterie that's Tell us a little background yeah give us a little background about how you and reagan came aboard well, um, Reagan and I actually met at the Black Girl Brilliance Brunch, which was put together by the lovely Kelly Terrell, who I would love to have on the show at one point. Um, great, great writer, screenwriter, oh, uh, yeah. cultural commentator. Um, and we were the first two there. <laughs> <laughs> and we just really hit it off. And I've been a fan of Reagan's for some time. I mean, like I grew up watching her. And I love, you know, surviving and I love her Twitter presence and all that. So after I got past being a little starstruck, <laughs> I realized that I realized that I, I found a soul sister. Um, and so not to interrupt you, I wanna run off some of these credits. If you guys don't know Miss Reagan Gomez, oh my we're gosh. talking Jerry Maguire, we're talking <laughs> Queen Sugar, the parenthood. And this one really, really got me and made me laugh. Undressed? What? Were you in the MTV show Undressed? Oh my God. Yes, I was. You, I, I completely forgot when you said that. I was like, what the hell is that? Yes, yes, yes that For is For all hilarious. the kids, all the kids out there, Undressed was a late night MTV program. I was like <laughs> 10 when that show was on the air and I would oh, have yes. to sneak watch it. Came on at like midnight or 11 and it was just about teens exploring their sexuality and I was yep. like, yes, Reagan, Undressed. Yep. <laughs> That's so funny. Yes. 
Okay, so back to Chris. You guys are the first ones there. You start chat, chopping it up, and, and then where do we go from here? Yeah, I mean, at that point, Charcuterie had already had some um, producers attached, the lovely Sandra Leviton and um, Rachel Liu. And we were in the process of, you know, talking to directors. And when, you know, when I met Reagan, it was just like, boom, like, <laughs> so that's kind of how the, um, the, the team at this point uh, came together. Yes. And Reagan, from your point of view, what was it about charcuterie that stuck out for you? So it's so funny. So everything Chris said happened, it definitely happened like that. But for me, you know, I've been on Twitter for a very, very uh, long time. It's it's 11 years this year. Um, and Twitter, people who've been following me for all of these years have seen, you know, my growth as a filmmaker, you know, as a writer, as a director, you know, I've done web series. And, and the last web series I did was a horror um a show called Surviving about two black sisters trying to survive the zombie apocalypse. So I had done that. Um, and I follow a bunch of amazingly, you know, creative black women, whether it's, you know, they're cooks or fashion designers or hair or filmmakers. I, I, I follow a lot of writers and directors, indie black women, writers and directors. So with, you know, Kelly, who I've been following for a while, she mentioned this brunch. I was like, you know what, let me get out and, and meet some folks. Cause you know, I'm home with my kids and outside of auditions and stuff, I'm home, but I really want to, meet a lot of these women that I've been following for a long time. So like Chris said, Chris was there first. I was there second. I brought my daughter with me. And it's kind of like a running joke that whenever we have like phone calls or whatever, Chris and I are always the first two <laughs> on the always. phone. So we hit it off. And Chris was telling me, you know, about some uh, films that she, you know, had, had written, um, some stories that she had written. And then we just started talking about surviving. And she also mentioned that, you know, she goes over scripts like um that's a, a a job that she has to go over scripts so that was in november i think christmas passed and at the beginning of the year i was like you know what i have a script that i'm working on that i would love to get some feedback on so i reached out to her and she was like yeah yeah this film is great but also um we're looking for a director for charcuterie and i was like oh my god like i i've been like salivating to direct something else I read the script I fell in love with it I met with Chris and Sandra and Rachel and we all just hit it off and yeah that's 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 how I came on board and I'm so happy that they hired me and I cannot wait to make this film I'm so excited and Chris what what is the current status with uh Shikuri? as you mentioned the great Sandra and Rachel are producers on this. They're wonderful, wonderful ladies. I had the pleasure to meet them both myself because um, I got to read the project and loved mm. it. Um, so could you actually first start off with what Shakuri is about and then where it stands production-wise? Um, well, the log line is um, more or less when two gentrifying hipsters move their artisanal deli into a West Philly neighborhood, our heroine Kenny, um, suspects that they're cannibalizing more than the culture. Um, this, it takes place in exactly where I grew up in West Philly, exact same neighborhood layouts, exactly the same. Um, and it was just inspired by some of the things that I'd seen going on in that neighborhood before I moved out. And then just reading <laughs> articles after I moved to California, about how the neighborhood was slowly changing, how the gentrification line was slowly creeping back forward, and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, not so slowly. 
Um, And I think I just started writing that script very shortly after Get Out came out. And I was sort of inspired by, you know, this new wave. Mm -hmm. um, Because horror has always had the social commentary tradition, but social horror really started coming back in an important way. And that made me feel comfortable in telling it the way that I wanted to tell it. And especially with some of the comedic elements too. Oh yeah. And then where are we at with charcuterie? Um, like, are we, I know we're in pre, we're in pre-pro or we're in development. Yeah, we can't, we've got some stuff going on, some exciting yeah, stuff. Yeah, we do. Can't say too, can't say too much about that, but pre-pro development somewhere before, the, somewhere between there. Um, but you know, it will be coming at you soon. It will, we will be making this film and we cannot wait to get it to you guys. We're so excited about it. That is awesome. And it's a perfect segue, especially because as we talk about social horror, it's starring black people. Candyman is one of the Mm -hmm. best to ever done it when it comes to social topics. We talk about, they talk about uh, gentrification in the film. Oh yeah. Uh, Interracial dating, racism, um, Poverty. There's so many topics that are touched in this film, and it's done through the horror lens. And that's why I thought it would be the greatest uh, uh, movie for us to kick off season two with. And also because Candyman 2020, well, Candyman. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> 2020. Candyman to be decided to right, be announced. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's coming. We got a, a really great trailer. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what was it? A month ago? God, it feels like. Yeah, years ago. yeah, it was yeah. about. Yeah, it was about a month ago. We got a really Much great trailer. Time. And uh, much yes, a much simpler time, and and then you know the world happened, the the virus mm-hmm. happened, and I don't know where we stand um, with Candyman twenty twenty, but I'm I'm hoping that uh, we get to see it. Um, since we're on the topic of Candyman twenty twenty, let's start with that. So we've got a wonderful. I guess it's not a remake, right? It's just an extension of the first movie, from what I understand. Yeah, it looks like a whole new story. It looks like they're kind of discovering the old legend of, of Candyman, but it's like, you know, Vanessa Williams is in this one as well, which I love seeing her face in the trailer, but it looks like it's a whole new discovery of the old Candyman myth or the old Candyman legend. We've got yeah. some clues in the trailer too. That I mean, not to interrupt you, uh, real quick. I looked it up. It was supposed. To, it's supposed to come out June twelfth. <laughs> so <laughs> mm, we'll see. Um, we'll see. It's it, it, that's an interesting release date to me too. There was some kind of discussion online on Twitter because I uh, Quiet Place has been moved to Labor Day, and, and everyone's kind of like, why are we not putting our horror films back in October? I mean, mm. it's clear to me they're counting on the success for this movie. It, which I think it's going to do amazing whenever it comes mm-hmm. out. But to put it in a summer release is like a blockbuster slate. So uh, I don't know if we're getting in June. Anyway, Chris, what were you going to say? <laughs> um, I've heard it referred to this new Candyman as a spiritual sequel. Um, I don't know exactly what that means. I have some theories. I don't know if I should get into mm. them because if I turn out be, if, if I turn out to be right, they might be spoilers. Mm. <laughs> but um, yeah. It does say here on the IMVD, a spiritual sequel to the 1992 horror film Candyman that returns to the now gentrified Chicago neighborhood where the legend began, which is an important point to to get to, which we'll get to in the breakdown of the plot. But if you remember, Helen realizes her condominium that she's living in was actually meant to be projects and Mm -hmm. was gentrified and the price 
driven up by a lot of money. Even um, Bernadette says, how much did you end up paying? She goes, you don't want to ask that question. Don't, yeah. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> so, um, so it's interesting that it looks like, especially from the trailer, if we're looking at the production design, um, the people are living in a really nice area mm-hmm. of maybe of this Caprini green. We'll see. Capri green. Um, yeah. Okay. So I want to start with some Candyman facts. I got my little cheat sheet here. The original Candyman 1992 was released on October 16th. A good little Halloween mm-hmm. uh, time there. Um, it has a runtime of one hour and 39 minutes. Pretty robust film. You know, almost two hours. It's a pretty, mm-hmm. good, pretty good amount. Um, it was distributed by TriStar Pictures and Polygram Film Entertainment. It had a budget of an estimated $6 million, which actually was quite surprising to me had a bit more than I originally thought Yeah. Um, for this picture. Uh, opening weekend, and it grossed $5 million, uh, $5.4 million, which is actually quite disappointing, I feel, for a budget of $6 million. You didn't quite make the budget. And there, that goes to a number of things. I mean, first of all, being 1992, first of all, being a Black-led-ish horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of I feel like especially as we talk about Candyman 2020 that it's going to do triple those numbers honestly oh yeah for sure easily easily um the uh total gross in, including domestic and international is 25.7 million dollars again quite disappointing I really feel like it's gonna be that the opening weekend yeah I, I'm thinking like more than that way more than that opening weekend so well you gotta remember too when this movie finally does come out people are gonna be dying to get out of the house and go to the movies <laughs> <Dying>. <laughs> dying. Yes. my little my little AMC pass is on on freeze right now and I was just oh, like yeah. I just missed the theater I missed the theater popcorn I missed oh yeah I, I'm I miss it. it's not the same but yes, um, whenever it does come out, this movie is going to be, it's going to smash. It's going to break, I predict it's going to break records. It's going to mm-hmm. break a lot of records. Um, it uh, has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 74%, pretty strong, and mm-hmm. um, a, a Metacritic score of 61. Uh, and, and before we move on again, speaking of the Candyman trailer 2020, I want to make this very clear. Um, Candyman 2020 is directed by Mia DaCosta not mm-hmm. Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. uh, which people seem to get wrong when the trailer came out. Jordan Peele's company, Monkey Paw, is producing the project, or did yes. produce the project, and Jordan is a co-writer on the, the film along with Mia, mm-hmm. but I think it's important to give our girl her flowers. Absolutely. Um, she deserves all credit due. So, shout out to Nia DaCosta. Uh, the original Candyman was directed by Bernard Rose, and he also wrote uh, the script. For Candyman, but it is based off a short story called The Forbidden by Clyde Barker. And if you don't know who Clyde Barker is, do your research, honey. He is. What are you doing? <laughs> tell, us, tell us about Mr. Cl- Clyde Barker. Hellraiser. I mean, he. Ah, just do your Googles, guys. Clive Barker. <laughs> your Googles. Clive Barker, especially best known for Hellraiser and, and Candyman, of course. And I, I saw an IMDb Hellraiser is in development. So we're getting a Hellraiser. So oh, wow. Good, okay. Good news for Clyde to. Barker. Yeah. Um, and it was, and this, it was a short story he wrote. And Bernard Rose's wife actually found it and told him to pursue it and oh, meet wow. with Barker. And a uh, fun little fact here, she was supposed to play Helen and she got pregnant. And she couldn't go oh, into production, wow. but she was good friends with Virginia Madsen. And Virginia mm-hmm. even says in an interview she felt guilty about taking the role from her friend. But, um, you know, 
Mrs. Rose said, you have to, there's no one else who can play this role yeah. for you. So could have been a little different for her career. Um, but you know, things work out the way they do. Yeah. Um, we've got composer Philip Glass. He's also, he's a very extensive composer, but he's best known uh, recently for the Fantastic Four, not starring Chris Evans, but starring Michael B. Jordan. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, cinematographer Anthony B. Richman, best known for The Sandlot and Tales from the Hood. Um, he's cinematographer for that. Editor Dan Ray, who's best known for editing Doctor Who series. Um, we have our actors in the leading role, Virginia Madison, best known, well, for me, if we're saying with horror, for The Hunting in Connecticut, I think, which is an underrated film. Mm. Uh, of course, the great Tony Todd, um, best known for this film, but also is uh, recurring on The Flash, Scream, the television series mm -hmm. um, that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> we're not gonna do that um but also the final destination series which is one of my 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 favorite series and um i truth be told i this is my first time this year watching Candyman. i watched final destination way before i've seen Candyman. so now that i've seen it i go what an iconic role for mr tony todd to be playing in final destination as this like creature of death basically he is the embodiment of death and to mm -hmm. be Candyman. Smart casting on whoever did that. Um, and of course, we have Vanessa Williams, who mm -hmm. I'm telling you, when I first saw Candyman to research for this podcast, it confused me because I was looking for the Vanessa Williams <laughs> for like yeah. Meet Me on the Moon. That yes, is like, that's not her. That's not her. I was like, where is she? I'm not, I don't see her in this Save movie. The is, she, is it a cameo? Yeah. Um, we're talking about the other Vanessa Williams, also uh, recurring from The Flash and Soul Food, the TV mm -hmm. And she's back this year in 2020 for, or we hope, in 2020 for Candyman. And mm -hmm. she has one of the best moments in the trailer. I think It's a meme moment, already. It's a meme. It's a meme. <laughs> it's a meme. And <laughs> it's such a Black Mama meme. And, oh, yeah. Uh, she's wonderful. We're going to get into it with, with her character, Anne-Marie, but she's And of course, she looks, of course, she looks even better now. I mean, she Damn. was gorgeous in the first one. She looks even better now, just in the trailer. She's ridiculous. I, I was watching it again last night, and I was like, she's like, hasn't changed. <laughs> Witchcraft. <laughs> It's witchcraft. That's all right. Um, I also want to do some honorable mentions. We we definitely going to talk about Miss Casey Lemons, who plays Bernadette. Mm -hmm. Okay, so first of all, Mama directed Harriet this year, which yep. did get an Oscar nomination for um, oh god, Cynthia, Cynthia, mm -hmm. for Cynthia. But before that, she's also the director of Eve's Bayou. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, she did some episodes of Luke Cage, and she was also in The Signs of the Lamb, playing the black best friend again. Yeah. Um, but Casey Lemons is, is legend, and, and we're going to talk about her as well. She and, also did. Uh, sorry. Oh, no, go she ahead. Also, sorry. She also did The Caveman's Valentine with Samuel L. Jackson, which is such an underrated movie, 2001. The oh, I've never seen that. Valentine? Yeah. We're going to have to I've look that up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're going to have to do an episode. Is it horror or? It's thriller-ish. It's thriller. Mm, okay. I'm going to have to look that. Wait, you said Samuel L. Jackson? Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson. With a better dreadlock wig than we've seen in most recent days. Oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> that is so funny. 
Someone call Tyler Perry. <laughs> right. <laughs> but not really. Um, but, but not really. <laughs> some fun facts. Uh, I, I looked up some fun facts about Mr. Candyman. Uh, and he wears a large fur laden long coat, which some characters uh, compared to a black sportation character. He does look a little pimpish. Not oh, lie. wow. I never thought about that. Okay. I didn't either. But I, now that I see him, like the coat, I'm going to this fly. I like the look. I mm-hmm. really do. I mean, because it's like I, the costume designing for that character is just like, how do you make this person look scary, but not look like a gimmick? And I think they did a great job. I mean, Tony Taz, like what, 6'4"? Yeah, he's a tall guy. And it's very kind of, I mean, take the horror aspect out of it. The fact that he has a hook. I mean, having like the, the coat that he has is kind of pirate-y. I mean, when you think of pirates and hooks <laughs> on their hands, they yeah. all have, like Captain Hook, they have those long capes or coats or whatever. Very he true. like a pirate. <laughs> right yeah i love when they do that full that first full body reveal of him in the parking garage and they start the shoes and they pan up my boy was shit sharp like nobody's working with danny robitaille he looks like a badass i'm not gonna lie like i I don't i didn't i don't really think the coat is racist i think it's just it's a little pimpish for sure but um (laughs) I think it makes him look like a, a badass. Yeah, and, someone that you need to pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah, and hypnotizes the hell out of Helen. Oh, I would be yeah. Too. Mm-hmm. Um, another fun fact is this is, according to IMBD, one of the only slasher movies, slashers, remember, um, in the horror canon with the black serial killer Alex as its villain. This has never been done before and has since not been done in the history of film. Although, as of mm. 2019, of course, they're putting together a Candyman reboot. So we got Freddy, we got Jason, we got Michael Myers, and we got Candyman, and that's yeah. it, like, for for our black slashers. I want to talk about this because um, I think it's important to note that it's kind of a double-edged sword when we talk about black serial killers or black slashers. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you do, if you, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of backlash with Candyman when it came out because of the portrayal of white fear and what a black man is perceived to be by white people but there's also the flip side is well why can't we play freddy krueger why can't we be jason Mm -hmm. um chris you have any thoughts on that yeah honestly i mean that is part of the reason why i was so drawn to this franchise just because i had never seen that before and i and i think we talked about this last season but i if anybody really like not saying that, you know, in in real life, we should take out our struggles by serial killing. But in terms of, like, entertainment catharsis, like, just what this character went through in his background story, I'm like, oh, why would he not come back and fuck some shit up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Also, oh, yeah, go ahead, Reagan. I was going to say, like, I remember we went to, I was 12 when, when this movie came out, and we definitely went to see it in the movie theaters. And when you were talking about the um, the opening week, um, how much money it made op- opening weekend and how it was disappointing, I do think there were a couple things at play there. Now, I just love horror and, you know, the, the, the main character was a, a black man, so I was definitely going to see it. But I also think it was that the leading lady was a white woman. And sometimes yeah. when, with his history and then it being a white woman, I think, you know, it gets into that 
crazy territory where people are like, well, I don't, I already don't like that, you know, the black man is a serial killer and he's in love with a white woman and hypnotizing her. Oh no. So I think it was a lot of that. Yeah. I definitely think it was a lot of that. Um, but you know, that's why I'm glad with the new Candyman, they kind of redid, they're doing a whole new story. Well, now I'm interested to see how that works. Cause I was, I was listening, I was watching um, Horror Noir, which is a wonderful documentary about oh, black yes. people in the horror history. You guys, it's on Shutter currently, um, seven day free trial, five ninety nine a month. But um, <laughs> that, you know, uh, who, what's her name? Taryn Davis? Taryn, I, oh my gosh, I always get her name wrong and I feel bad. Is she you an actress? Know. No, Tarana do. Tarana Reeve. Oh, yeah, yeah, Tanana Reeve. Tanana Reeve, yes. Tanana Reeve, Reeve. Yes. sorry, I'm so sorry. Tanana Reeve okay. was talking about how, um, like you said, the disappointment was, well, if white people killed Candyman, why would he come back to haunt his own people when right across the street, there's this right. ancestry people up his mouth? And I mm-hmm. felt that, but I also felt, well, then the blacks, the backside of that, if they wouldn't want that angle, then it's like, now we're perpetuating black fear again. Now it's black people killing white people, which is right playing right into the hands of every like secretly white person's fear is this tall black guy who's coming mm-hmm. into your apartment. Like, I just feel like you can't win either way. Either if Helen was a black woman, then it'd be like, well, there you go. We can't even have a successful black relationship on screen because he's trying right. to kill her. And, and uh, that's what's really tricky about being black and and writing horror. Chris, do you feel like that too when you wrote charcuterie? Like, are you trying to find the balance between not playing the stereotype, but also not, you know? Yeah, I mean, I was very specific about things that I wanted to show on camera, things that I didn't want to show on camera, um, mindful of certain stereotypes that I wanted to to flip. And I just did a recent edit, no spoilers, just Mm. because something came up that I was like, well, damn, like, you know, we, it, it, it just, af- after my lived experience to change a little bit, even just over a couple of years, I just had a, a realization, Eureka moment, that, you know, as a filmmaker, I have a responsibility. And I mean, that's something that I always have in mind, but, you know, you're always editing and always trying to find the most effective way and the most clear way to tell that story Mm -hmm. um so that's always in the the forefront of my mind with Candyman specifically I honestly I don't have as much of a problem um with him as a villain because the way I always interpreted it was that a lot of the terror um the terrorizing that was going on in the neighborhood was coming from the drug dealer who was calling himself Candyman right that's a good point the little boy in the bathroom and the Mm -hmm. like they're not not standing there saying candy man candy man candy man that was who uh knocked helen out Mm -hmm. so that's a good point to make because i i feel like we for i want to dive into that as we get into the plot because what i love about this movie that um not many horror films does is it takes you down one path and it, it, we're not even until an hour into the movie do we actually get into the actual like what is Candyman and his appearance and Tony Todd shows up for the first half of the movie we're focused on uh the project and this woman who's died and it's more like unraveling mm-hmm. this gang has taken the monitor moniker of Candyman and he's placated that to install the fear into this community um and then we really once that is dissolved because he gets arrested then we really mm-hmm. fall into the trap but as I mean I write the uh, 
hoard too, just just like Kristen Reagan. And it is it is a middle ground to play because it's like I've got to show respect for my community. I've got to yeah. please them, and I've also got to not placate into white fear, which is so so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a double edged sword. So like like you, Chris, I I didn't take that much um, offense to Candyman being a what was happening in, in Caprini Green and his fear in there. I will say he's one of the most brutal, even more brutal to me than Freddy. Um, oh, yeah. Because he kills babies. He, he, he casts, yep. like, children die. Uh, Candyman has no qualms with killing babies and taking children. Mm-hmm. And um, and this, for this film especially, <laughs> that bathroom scene you're talking about, Chris, is very, very brutal. And yeah, you have to see a kid on the floor holding himself yeah, I don't think I've seen that on film before. But was that Daniel? Was that Daniel Robitaille? Was that the villain? Was that Candyman? Was that Who our Candyman right? or what? Right. Um, even still, and even and and I'm not denying that because the the shit he pulls at the end with the baby mm-hmm. is insane. But there's also a moment where we see him I don't remember if he was feeding the baby like honey or whatever it was yeah what was that the what I got from that is that he doesn't view death and I know I sound like an apologist like just 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 rock with me here (laughs) like he like he views death as freedom and eternal life and he sees that he's trying to give Helen in this baby just the image of them in that burning pyre at the end. I don't know. I'm jumping all over the, the place. It seemed almost like he wanted to sort of create his own family with her in the baby. That's what oh. I got. I, that's what I got. That Because I'd completely forgotten um, about that scene that he was really trying to not only kill her, but kill the baby too. That's what I got. Like he wanted a family with the woman who he loved what a hundred years ago or, or when whatever time he you know when they murdered him originally that's what I got and Which that's interesting when you look at the it is it's messed up when you look at the trailer for 2020 and I'm sorry you guys if I if I am give, I haven't seen Candyman 2020 but I'm just putting two together that scene of Candyman feeding the baby with whatever droplets of on his finger it's so quick mm-hmm. but I feel like if I was to rewrite a movie for Candyman 2020 that feeding of the baby is is basically because the baby survives anthony baby anthony survives mm-hmm. um but that's a piece of candy man i'm i'm that's a piece of me i'm giving to the baby so he can grow up and maybe be the new me yes that oh, is exactly wow. i didn't want to say because i didn't want to spoil i didn't want to be like well like what did, i don't want to like blow up the spot but like, I was just about to ask, like, I wonder if that baby has to be in the new Candyman, right? Like a grown I think version Yaya of his mom is, is in there. New, I do. I do think Yaya, <gasps> it's his name, Yaya, right? I do think yeah, Yaya, Yaya is team. baby mm-hmm. Anthony. I do, because it's perfect for Vanessa Williams to come back and as Anna, Anna Marie and to tell her son, like, uh-uh, don't say that. Mm-mm. Like, we don't, we don't say that name in the mm-hmm. house, remember? And to him to be under... Yeah, and he's a photographer in the trailer. And remember Candyman 1999, there was so much about photography in it, whether it's Helen taking pictures, um, Bernadette looking at the slides, being covered in slides and and pictures. Um, I feel like baby Anthony, this is the right time. I mean, 20 plus years, it would make sense. Well, I was was just about to ask that. Because I was 12 when this movie came out now. So if the baby was a baby in 1992, how old is he supposed to be now? He would have to be, how how old is that? Like twenty nine thirty. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, I guess yeah. I'd be like my yeah, age. I, I was born in eighty nine. Yeah. Okay. I was born in eighty nine, and I'm thirty. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I was about two years old when that movie came out. So yeah, Baby Anthony would be a little bit younger than me. Okay, I guess so. Okay, that makes sense. Because I was like, it, it what fits. is this math? <laughs> okay. What is this math? But it fits, it fits. And we're going to get yeah. that, um, to the plot. So I want to get into the start from the start to the finish. I'm reading the plot off of Wikipedia. Um, so we can stop and start as we go. Um, I do want to start with this aerial shot. The movie opens up with an aerial shot of Chicago. Can I, can I say something too? Yeah. I'm sorry, before we get into uh, the breakdown of the film. Another thing that I noticed, you know, re-watching it was just how much unnecessary nudity there is in this film. And it took me back to a place, oh yeah, that's right. Women were having to get naked all the damn time. Oh my God, no Megan, you didn't like the boobs? <laughs> Did you see, like, toward the end, his girlfriend is in this shirt with no bra? I'm like, bro, what? What is that? Yes. Like, what is- I was just like, this boot. First of all, Virginia Madison has a great set of boots. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, she's gorgeous to look screen. at. I mean, of course, she's gorgeous to look at. But even at the end with his little girlfriend, his college girlfriend, which was weird already, but she's in a shirt with no bra, just nipples, just, just for no reason. For no reason. For no reason. So. That, that's definitely a female gaze. Like, I think all men think we walk around. Like, that's uncomfortable. No one wants to walk around all day without their bra, especially cooking dinner. Like, it's not a thing. It makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really Helen glad in the bathtub, that... fine. <laughs> Helen in the bathtub. Right. I actually really enjoyed the scene where, because I thought it was so um, Law and Order SVU and, and really accurate, where Helen is covered in blood and the, the cop is basically telling her, okay, now take off your shirt. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought that nudity was necessary because that's very real. Like And intrusive and like uncomfortable. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. On the bathroom, too, I, was, I, I wasn't too upset with that. I was like, she's in a tub. She's naked. She has this loofah <laughs> that she's really trying to cover her breast with. <laughs> right. But we still see a bit. But you're right. The girlfriend and, and just topless dinner Mm-hmm. No zero sense to me. Um, I did write in my notes when I was watching. I was like, "Boobies!" <laughs> right. <laughs> Look at that. Uh, has a great set. <laughs> That's all I know. Right. I hope she doesn't take offense to that. Um, definitely the female gaze there for male. That's why I'm really interested how Nia is going to direct it. It's going to be so interesting to see it from a, a woman perspective. Oh yeah. Oh um, yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. So we're going to go into the, to the plot now. Uh, so the film opens up, and I thought this was an interesting fact. This film was one of the first films to use Skycam, which is basically like drones for us now. And that aerial shot, uh, 1992, was unheard of. People have done it before, but this was really, mm-hmm. really smooth. So it's basically, it's an aerial shot of Chicago. Mm-hmm. I'm from the Midwest. I don't know uh, where, Reagan, where, are you LA born and raised? Oh, no, no, no. I'm Detroit uh, born, and then I was raised in Philadelphia, so I do have a Midwest connection, yeah. I'm from Lansing. Hello, cousin. Oh, yeah, Uh, there you go. So we have this aerial shot of Chicago, and it's taking us not only through the projects, but through uh, the the, um, middle-class neighborhoods. It's really setting up the landscape for what this movie is going to talk about, class structure and Mm -hmm. poverty, Um, and that's how it opens over a beautiful score. Um, so we've got Helen. She's a graduate student in Chicago. Um, and I want to stop there too, because also it's clear to me, Helen's husband, the asshole Troy, Trevor, mm-hmm. sorry, almost a Troy, um, is into younger women. Cause I, mm-hmm. I was, un- I mean, Virginia 
to her credit, she looks a bit older. I believe that Helen is supposed to be, she's a, a graduate student. She's supposed to be 24, maybe 25. Okay. Or maybe younger than that. But her husband, Trevor, seems to be like in his 40s. Mm, oh yeah mm-hmm. um, and it's clear to me because he he later on he flirts with one of his you know the woman who ends up cooking topless um right. he looks like 1920 at oh most. fresh so fresh yeah. out of high school fresh yeah. out of high school so it's clear to me that helen and trevor got together because she was probably a younger student yep. of mm-hmm. his um and this seems to be a pattern with this asshole but Helen is a graduate student in Chicago, and she's researching urban legends for her thesis. I didn't finish college, so I didn't, I had to research, like, what this thesis thing was. I didn't know that it was a thing that people mm-hmm. did um, and had to do to graduate. And plus, I, it, I went to, like, an art school. I, I was studying art, so there was, I don't even know if there was a thesis for me, probably. Um, <laughs> but I like that background of, of Helen and Bernadette taking urban legends to do their, their thesis and how we kind of, that guides us to the story. So they hear a local story about the Candyman and they hear it through um, a student, but then they also follow up with these two janitor-like ladies. They're African-American mm-hmm. ladies. And they mm-hmm. kind of tell her the story about a woman who died in the Cabrini Green housing. And there's a background about Candyman there. So that sets us up with two stories. So we have one story, which is the urban legend of Candyman. Um, but we don't get that really background legend until Helen goes to dinner with some friends of her husband's and mm-hmm. basically is, is this guy's a douchebag to her too, saying, oh, I wrote oh, yeah. my I thesis on that 10 years ago. Let me give you some background about the Candyman legend. So we've got two stories here. One is this, this Caprini Green's housing project where a, a woman named Ruthie Jean was murdered. And uh, they say it's by Candyman. And then we actually have the urban legend of Candyman. And um, Helen wants to learn more about Candyman. So she ends up going with Bernadette to the projects of Cabrini Green at the behest of Bernadette, who's basically mm-hmm. saying, you don't want to go there. I don't even drive there. It's not safe. Now let's stop here and talk about Miss Bernadette as a character. Miss <laughs> Bernadette is what they called, um, they went through this in um, Horror Noir specifically, uh, the Black Best Friend trope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we talk about this last year, Chris, a lot. Um, and Brandy and I know she did last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, our, my girl Elise Neal in Scream Two. So yeah. uh, Bernadette here and Bernadette, uh, the actress who played her, um, Casey Lemons, also was in uh, Science of the Lambs. She was the best friend of Clarice. Um, <laughs> so Chris, why don't you explain to the new audience what the Black Best Friend trope is? Well. Since you asked, (laughs) the black best best friend is basically there to coddle the white protagonist, you know, Mm -hmm. check in, see how she's feeling, if she needs a coffee. Um, (laughs) Basically, um, the black best friend lives for the white protagonist, doesn't really have much of a life outside of being there for the white protagonist, will probably sacrifice themselves for the oh, white yeah. protagonist, and will likely be one of the most brutal on-screen kills. Because we like them, we care about them, right. just not as much as the white protagonist. And they also get very much like, you crazy girl, or it's time to go. I told you <laughs> we only got five minutes, it's time to go, or, you know, they, they give the, that as well. The best part of uh, Horror Noir was Rachel True, and she was like, no, this is, this is how the black best friend goes. Are you okay? Are you yep. okay? 
are you okay? <laughs> and I was and like, Casey yeah. was giving very much Rachel True vibes. I was like, oh my God, the, she feels very Rachel True in this in this film. The hair and everything. The hair, yeah, yeah, the hair. And we can, I mean, we can go and, and this is not a slight to Rachel or Casey. We love those women. But mm-hmm. there is a certain type of black girl. And it's still oh, yeah. today I see it on mm-hmm. that this your virtual best friend. It's usually the mixed girl. Oh, yeah, with the curly um, hair. Oh, yeah. Curly hair and the lighter skin. I mean, mm-hmm. turn on turn on any movie right now on Netflix, especially on TV show. And you, you take a look at the girls who are the co-stars. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, they don't look like Vanessa Williams. Um, they don't look like me, Chris, and they don't look like you. So <laughs> um, it's unfortunate. Yeah, they might look like um, the other Vanessa Williams, but yeah, <laughs> not, yeah. not yeah. Man, Vanessa Williams. Yeah, but Bernadette is the quintessential best friend. And the fun fact about this movie, the Bernadette was supposed to be white. Uh, there were two white girls uh, in the original draft for Candyman, and they felt like if they were going to talk about the project, they needed to have an African-American woman play Bernadette. So um, just so you guys know, Virginia Madison, before she mm-hmm. got the role of Helen, had the role of Bernadette, and then when um, uh, the director's wife had to drop out of her pregnancy, Virginia was bumped up to lead, and we found uh, Casey Lemons to play Bernadette. And Bernadette does only one thing. We don't learn anything about, we don't see Bernadette oh, in her apartment. Mm-hmm. We don't see her reacting yeah. to her friend. She's only in the scenes when uh, Helen is there and ends up getting, like Chris said, brutally murdered. Brutally. And it doesn't even look like, like, I know Helen is supposed to be hypnotized, but she wasn't even trying, really trying to scream and warn her friend <laughs> at all. Go. Burn, burn, right. Like, what is, who, who can hear? <laughs> what, are, what is this? Right. And then what is with Helen's apartment always being left open? I'm like, damn, do y'all lock your doors? Like, like that's very TV, in. but you're right. Yeah. It's very TV. Bernadette like, just people just walk in. in. Yeah. Yeah. She's got flowers. She walks in, gets killed. Then Helen escapes later and comes right in to find her husband with the new yogurt. I'm like, y'all don't lock your door. Especially, like, right. Trevor, I really need you to lock your doors, if, especially if you know your wife has, like, killed two people at this Right. <laughs> I'm going to need you to lock your doors. Um, and when we get to that part later, I mean, we can talk about it now, but the look on homegirl's face when Helen comes home and she's painting that ugly pink, like, house. Oh, that so was hilarious. <laughs> I would have loved if she, if they would have played that scene up because they were terrified. And she left. She left on her own. I wanted that. I could have watched that scene for, like, maybe a minute or two longer, like, just of her, yeah. like, terrifying them forever she was like go ahead call him and this girl's like oh, mm-hmm. no <laughs> she's like god damn mm-hmm. it <laughs> wonderful so anyway Bernadette um is trying to talk Helen out of going to the project you know don't go there we don't go there I don't even drive there and this is what is frustrating to me about this film this is one of the things I get frustrated with it's the theme to me that really highlights in the film is like believe black women mm-hmm. um when we tell you Things. uh Helen quintessentially is that white woman who just thinks she's untouchable she's she's not gonna get harmed because, I mean because she's a white woman it's just it's kind of true um it is true because remember know. yeah remember when they're walking up it's um Bernadette who's like nervous of all the guys like hey mama where are you going and and you know Helen is the one like don't don't worry about them it's fine we're just gonna walk she was like the quote-unquote <laughs> brave one which was fucking hilarious I don't know if we can cuss which was hilarious <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <We can curse. laughs> right 
It is sad though. It's sad that, um, so we're three black women sitting here. It's sad that I felt for Bernadette. But yeah, it would be me over this bitch. Like you guys mm. would come after me because she's right. untouchable. Because if you touch right. her, you go to jail. You touch me, no one's coming to save me. Mm-hmm. That's sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially when we're talking about our black men. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's really how it is though. It's just like, all right. Yeah. And y'all yeah. are going to pick me. I know it. It's going to be me. So right. that ends up following Helen into the building. And um, uh, but before we get there, let me jump back a little bit. So Helen, in her research, finds out that her apartment, her really beautiful Chicago high rise, which mm-hmm. um, if you know anything about Chicago, those high rises now today are fortunes. They're probably fortunes back then, too. You really have to have some money. Not quite sure how a professor salary and a thesis student <laughs> right. that kind right. of apartment. But it's a horror movie. We all know that everyone in horror movies have big houses for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, she finds she does her research and knows that um, her her building used to be a housing project and, and then it was gentrified and the rent went up. But through that research, she finds a a hole in the back of her medicine cabinet mirror uh, that basically leads to another apartment. And she theorizes that's how that woman Ruthie Jean got murdered. That someone was went through her bathroom mirror. So they went to uh, Caprini Green to check that out. When they get there, they get past all the drug dealers, of course, barely, and um, they think they're police. I'm sorry. So they use that as their protection. Mm-hmm. And they meet a woman named Anne Marie. Anne Marie McCoy, Miss Vanessa Williams, played brilliantly. Just one of the mm-hmm. best performances. Um, yeah, she's great. The best performance in that. In that Absolutely. She did that. Uh, oh, yeah. And Anne Marie, yeah, she did that. And Anne Marie McCoy is, is a uh, single mother. She has a baby boy, I think six months, uh, mm-hmm. a little more, named Anthony. And she is by herself with a big old uh, dog, a Rockweiler, basically, to protect her. And um, she is kind of the voice of reason here when she calls uh, Helen out for her curiosity, like, oh, you think we're all drug dealers and we're criminals and we're crackheads. And mm-hmm. They're right about us. But in a, in a little moment, she connects with Helen and actually trust her and it's not a big moment but we see Anne-Marie do it when she starts answering questions about the legend of Candyman mm-hmm. um, and this will not be the first time that uh, Helen has disappointed people in Caprini Green we'll meet Jake later um, but I want to talk I want to touch here on a moment because for the white listeners listening this is important for you to understand I grew up in a household where my grandma is from Arkansas and she was uh, moved to California during the Watts riots, and then oh, I have Arkansas ties too. That's so funny. Are we cousins? Are we kin? <laughs> that is so funny. Are we kin? Uh, my my grandma's family had one of the first own, first black owned restaurants in Lansing. She also was one of the first black female welders for the General Motors company. Oh. Um, and I remember this story so vividly. I was a high school senior and I had loaned some lawn chairs to my, my friend, Katie, shout out Katie, um, mm-hmm. for her graduation party. And I couldn't go pick them up. And my grandmother, I asked her to go get them. And my grandmother came to get the chairs and, and Katie had told me, hey, tell her it's okay to go in the backyard and just pick up her chairs. She can go right mm-hmm. in. And my grandma called me and she said, do you, do you know what they'll do to me, a black woman, if I just walk right. into these white people's yard and grab chairs? And I was like, Grandma, right. it's 2007. She was dead serious, y'all. She did not go get them chairs. I know so she I did. Not go get them chairs. <clears throat> so I need my the white audience to understand. I want to hear from um, Chris and Reagan too about your experience. That every black person has a story when they a white person has just 
uh, lost their trust. Mm-hmm. Everyone has it, especially a white woman. Everyone has mm-hmm. their white woman distrust stories. And this goes back to the fact that when we talk about feminism, it's not for all of us. So we, we have a, a phrase I like to use, I've seen on Twitter called white feminism, which is mm-hmm. the women in those, those pussy hats and they're marching um, and they're so angry, but it usually doesn't, they don't understand the placation of race that comes through also being a woman. Or they um, do and they just don't care. They do and they don't care. They do and they don't get it, which is, mm-hmm. I don't know if Helen is do and don't care or do and don't get it or she's both. Mm. white people but she's really not hearing Anne Marie and Bernadette when they are talking about this legend but also this place and, this, and the poverty and the projects and, we're, and it's not some school assignment these are people's real real lives um mm. so for 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 the audience listening who may not understand that this white people distrust is a big deal and for someone like Anne Marie living in a project you don't trust white people that's there's, mm-hmm. there's a reason why the gangs outside think Helen is a cop because mm-hmm. she's white. What is she doing here? <laughs> she must either be CPS or a cat. So right. um, that's, that's a really big deal for Jake and for Anne-Marie too, because they do let their guard down around Helen. And as we'll get into later, that gets shattered into a thousand pieces. Um, Court, Chris, 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 Chris Court. <laughs> Chris, do you remember your first white betrayal? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um... I it probably I feel like it happened sometime in elementary school, so I don't remember the details. <laughs> right. Um, I and I I, um, yeah, I have some stories. I don't know I, if I want to share them on the podcast. Well, maybe we'll share um, another time. Maybe we'll yeah we'll 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 do this off the record. But well, Reagan, you have one too. I'm sure you have tons of white betrayal stories. Listen, I have tons, and even like to kind of piggyback off what you were talking about, how like no one really trusts Helen. Even at the beginning, when she's talking to the two um, janitors, the two black women, they stop talking after a while and kind of give each other a look, like that's all we're gonna say. We're not gonna say anymore. Um, yep. And I don't know, Helen is completely oblivious to that, but they told her just enough, but they didn't trust her with the rest of the information. Um, for whatever reason. But listen, I am a black woman actress in Hollywood. When we talk about (laughs) white feminism, (laughs) if there is a white character or white, or or if there is a female character, she will always be white. And like we said, there's a trope of the black woman best friend. I've been that many times, many times. (laughs) Um, I actually, you know, have had uh, conversations or have overheard conversations when I've been on set. you know, if I was black, if I saw you walk into the audition room, I would be nervous. But you're not nervous right now because I'm black, which means I'm not a threat to you. But if you were black, then I would be a threat to you. Like those kind of, you know, uh, microaggressions, micro macroaggressions. Oh, yeah. When it comes to, you know, uh, auditioning and I audition for the lead and the producers want me for the lead, but I can't be the lead because I'm black. I'm supposed to be the friend. So, you know, Mm. then they have to recast. And I have so many, so many, so many stories. And look, it's already competitive, even just amongst black women, because they're not a lot. There's more now, but there's, there's not a lot of characters for us. And, and, you know, we know when we go into an audition, we're going to see, you know, the best of the best, or I've auditioned with all of them, Taraji, Megan, I've been over all these years auditioned with all of them. But when it's like, 
you know, she's not supposed to be the lead. She's supposed to be the friend. It's very much that in Hollywood still to this day. You can't be the lead. No, you're supposed to be the best friend or whatever. I'm supposed to be the lead. So it's very <laughs> much that. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly how you feel. Especially this film being padded by two, like Casey Simmons and um, uh, Vanessa Williams, they really anchor and put Helen on their shoulders. Oh, sure. I mean, Virginia Madison is wonderful, don't get me wrong, but those supporting characters really hoist her up in this film. Like those girls, you, those women. The movie, the movie would not be the same without the two of them, which is why I think it is so amazing that they brought Vanessa Williams back. They had to bring her back. Because outside yeah, of... Outside of Tony, she is the, the, what, the foundation, the soul of this film, the franchise. She yeah. is. And if Miss Lemons uh, didn't die, I know. I, I think she would uh, be back. <laughs> but rest in peace, Miss Lemons. So I wanted right. to touch on that, too, because I wanted to lay the foundation for where we are. Um, that white betrayal and, and, and distrust between white people in the black community, that is a thing. And that is important mm-hmm. to understand here, especially as we move on um with the story so helen and bernadette they go into the apartment uh where the woman was murdered and sure enough they find an apartment behind the the, the mirror mm-hmm. on the medicine cabinet and helen's dumbass decides she wants to go <laughs> through the, through the mirror to take pictures and bernadette is left there by herself holding her coat smoking a cigarette waiting for her white friend to come back and she's taking pictures and um uh, the camera tracked me up because she ran out of film and she had to come back. And mm-hmm. we basically are brought into this lair where there is candy, there's chocolates and, and razors. And it's apparent, mm-hmm. it's apparent that the gang who's taken over the moniker for Candyman is putting razors in the candy. And I want to touch on this because I finally clicked <laughs> me. I was like, is this where the urban legend of people of people not letting their kids eat trick-or-treat candy came oh, from? Oh, it like, was a see big this movie? thing. Like, is that, is, was that a thing? I don't listen since I was the, you know of trick-or-treating age at that time to really know what it was it was a big thing do not eat that candy or we have to inspect the candy and not just the kind yeah. of expe- inspecting that I do now like let me have some I'm just I just want to eat some <laughs> it's like no they were really inspecting uh the candy back then I don't know where that came from but I mean Listen, we're in the coronavirus. We're all quarantined. We see people out there doing stupid stuff right now. Of course, somebody would be trying to hurt children. Right. It, but it feels very much like this movie maybe pushed that. Maybe. That, again, urban legend. It, it, yeah. Urban legend developed out of this movie of urban legend. Because every Halloween, we get the same old article. Like, make sure oh, yeah. people are putting drugs in the in the right. And I'm just like, no one's wasting good drugs on your kids. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. We, we're not giving away our drugs, y'all. We're like, right. So um, it's interesting that that urban legend may have stemmed from here. Um, but Bert, uh, uh, Helen, she gets back out of the, um, the hole in the wall and they, they meet Anne-Marie and Anne-Marie fills them in on the candy man and the death of Ruthie Jean, and she introduces us to her baby Anthony and, and her pit bull dog, or whatever the dog is, it's a big mm-hmm. dog, it's scary. Um, and Helen and uh, Bernadette end up leaving, uh, Caprini, and um, Helen goes home and basically talks to her husband and tries to write the story, and she does say the Candyman name five times in the mirror, which is the urban legend, if you say his name five yep. times in the mirror, then... Uh, bad things happen to you. 
and she does it and nothing happens and of course she you know chalks it up to this is all an urban legend but it's that's okay because it's a part of the moniker for Candyman. so as we'll see oh, yeah. later on the whole thing with Candyman is he just needs his name to live on. He needs people to be in fear of him. So he's okay with a drug dealer taking his name because the drug dealer is doing horrible things in his name and it's keeping mm-hmm. his legacy alive. Now, this is where I, this is where the story switches, which is, is pretty great, I think, as a film. Helen goes back to Cabrini Greens by herself. Dumbass. Mm. I just like <laughs> really trying. It's just like I wanna have that kind of like bravery as a white woman. Mm. Like I can do mm-hmm. whatever I want. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna get in trouble or I'm not gonna right. get hurt um but Helen ends up going back where she meets uh, a kid named Jake who I didn't look up this actor's name I apologize but I can look it up now he is fascinating though mm-hmm. where is his name sorry you guys I think it's De- Dewan something Dewan guy I think it is Dewan I did see a Dewan something in the credits yeah Dewan yeah. there you go yeah he's he for I, this kid is really talented as yeah. an actor um his his delivery of the lines and his his reactions he's just really really good i'm mm-hmm. not sure what the backstory is and how they found him but gosh he was a joy to watch um mm-hmm. and during that scene if, if you'll notice a little a little director piece i like to point out um helen is talking to jake and the shadow from the gate makes a honeycomb on her face like a nice shadowy oh, wow. honeycomb okay you guys get that yeah, cinematography was on his oint. I completely missed that. Oh, wow. Lighting, oh my God. Right before Bernadette gets it, the, the little light going across her eyes. When Helen's hypnotized, the light going across her oh, eyes. Yeah. She it had a just, beauty light the whole movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she did. Such yeah. a gorgeous film to look at. Yeah. It is such a gorgeous And Virginia has such beautiful eyes. and They're very Yeah, she does. But I love the honeycomb over her face because it's a it's a foreshadowing for what happens to her later in the film with the bees, which will. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but Jake anyway, Jake uh, takes her down to the bathroom and tells her a story of a little boy, and this boy was bored uh, while his mother was shopping and decides he has to use, he really has to use the bathroom, so mm-hmm. he goes to the bathroom and and all of a sudden we hear screams and they play this in a flashback by the way they they film all of this and the little boy screams and then um, one of the the big guys that Jake calls him goes to check it out and someone has cut off this little boy's area mm-hmm. and he is laying on the floor covered in blood screaming mm-hmm. and uh, that was it's a very very brutal scene again I I'm all for it though I this may sound weird I'm so sorry but I like seeing children I don't want to say I like I'm I like when films take a chance to hurt children on screen that doesn't sound right either <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it lets you know the tone of the film, just like the um, the It remake that we saw, what, three, yeah. two or three years ago. Yeah. Like, it lets you know the tone of the film. Like, we're, this person is dangerous. This yeah, monster yeah. or whatever is dangerous. It sort of ups the ante on which oh, yeah. And the pets, too, which, spoiler oh, yeah. alert, Amory's dog gets 86 like, mm-hmm. in the worst way. You just see the, the damn Rottweiler's head. Um, and I think that, I mean, 
personal choice whether you use it or not but those kinds of movies when you see that shit it kind of it, it's like okay this is not pg-13 <laughs> because that's the right. thing like a lot of these you know when, especially when we talk about horror movies of that time whether it's jason or freddie there's a there's a level of comedy to a lot of those films and this film it was not that like yeah. it, there were funny not- moments or whatever but it was very much like no this dude is dangerous we're, yeah we're gonna take this all very seriously yep. and the dog, the dead dog thing is a trope for horror films, so I was kind of used to that, but with kids in the U.S., like in the U.K., they don't care, they'll fuck up a kid, but in the U.S., it's very taboo to see such a violent um, yeah. kid portrayal, and like Reagan said, it wasn't until It, when yeah. It came out, I was like, damn, this is dope, they're actually showing kids, like, get fucked up, mm-hmm. um, yep. but this movie really took it there, and I, I was, I was shocked when I first watched it, I was like, damn, a kid like his junk is gone he's on the floor holding it he's covered in blood like what yeah be upset about in the film that one i felt like would have got shunned or Mm. (laughs) um so i I like that it took that chance because it really did say like again we're dealing with something very very evil here Mm -hmm. Um, so while bernadette uh, i'm sorry why helen helen white helen is taking photos of the mm-hmm. bathroom. She opens one of the toilets and sees a bunch of bees in it. Um, the gang member leader comes in with his hook. He calls himself the Candy Man, and she gets brutally attacked. She gets smacked across the face mm-hmm. with a hook and beat up. And of course, the cops come. And yeah, because <laughs> it's a white woman, right? Um, and right. Helen is to to her to her uh, credit. Helen does point yeah. this out. Yeah, yeah, she does. People have died. A, a boy and a woman, mm-hmm. a black woman has died and the cops never came, but she gets beat up and, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. the dreams get shut down. They really shut the place down. Um, so she is aware of her own privilege to some extent. Mm-hmm. And it, do, it does really play a big part into the story. Just that yeah. they're so quick to believe Helen about her assault um, and they're not quick to believe any of the black people in Caprini Greens about anything. Um, so that's the end of our our first act or first act for this story. And then the story mm-hmm. changes. And then it doesn't become about this gang leader and this and the woman Ruthie Jean and how she got murdered. Now it becomes about the real legend of Candyman. And um since the gang can leader I, can is I now say in, something too? Oh of course. Inter- really you guys jump in anytime, anytime. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the the little boy, did you say his name was Jake? I forget. The it little boy. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if that's another trope, like young black children who are very wise on the history of wherever they live or the history that the white protagonist is looking into or or interested in, because he knew this legend. And I don't know how regular that is. I have a 12 year old. She doesn't not that she doesn't know anything about anything, but like this little boy knew exactly what she was talking about and knew the legend. He was talking about another candy man, the drug dealer, but still. He was very aware. So I wonder if that's another trope for Black children in horror movies, especially if there's only one Black child. It's not so much uh, Black children. Yeah, it's not so much Black children, but there is something called the spiritual guide or magical Negro. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. (laughs) Yes. Yes. This is a person who um, will guide the white character through the movie it's usually the wise person you you know like i said like you said the wise person the usually older women especially the mammy type that's like Mm -hmm. go there you don't know the evil that's cool Mm -hmm. whatever that's or the or the black eye and i'm the shining 
Yeah. Uh, yep. Or the and they all die, mm-hmm. <laughs> except for Jake. Jake made it through. Right. Right. No. Um, yeah. But yes, yeah, so we are we are the spiritual guide or the magical Negro off, offering spiritual guidance to mm-hmm. the like, protagonists to make sure they they understand the story. Um, I will say to the, your point, Reagan, it's a good point. Whether but Jake obviously because of his surroundings, he's got it. He's had to grown up. Very. Yeah, different. that's true. That's true too. Yeah. Like you always see in the movies um, with the white kids, they're always very innocent and, and, mm-hmm. and aloof and you have to protect them. But it's something to be said in this movie, Jake is an, a little adult and because he, yeah. he's so much and he's literally probably working for the gang. I mean, I he's think a he's survivor. A yeah, he's a survivor. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's unfortunate, like, but that, that happens, that's in our community. Black children mm-hmm. have to grow up so quickly. Oh, yeah. And uh, we're not given the chance to be kids. And as you see, Jake's not playing on the playground. He's not hanging out with other kids. He is right looking for Amory, and he's here mm-hmm. in the, the jungle. Chris? Yeah. yeah. I, and I will say, that is a movie trope, too. Um, I haven't, you, it, when I see examples of young Black innocence, that is very novel to me. Oh, for um, sure. In movies. So I will say that the, the little black kid that's seen it all, that's like got war flashbacks and is, you know, a, a 12 going on 25. Right. Right, right. Yeah. yeah but yeah. like you um, uh, tying it into the magical Negro, it could have been an older black person. They just made his character into a kid, but the, they would have been saying the exact same thing. Exactly. Exactly the same. It's mm-hmm. kind of nice to see it through Jake's eyes because it's like loss of innocence, which I think is kind of also a theme in this movie. As Helen, Helen does have a growth arc in this, where not everything is just about a thesis, or she's actually seeing the her her simple little white world fall apart mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> very quickly, and she loses her innocence too. So um, maybe there's some connectivity there. Um, but because the the uh, gang member goes to jail, hmm, mm-hmm. basically, and 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 this is this is where this is an important scene to me when we talk about white betrayal again. So Jake is in the hospital or in the police station with Helen, and he's upset because he's like, you know, I said this, you said this is going to be our secret, and now you lied, and mm-hmm. I trusted you. That's his first experience with that. Yeah, damn, I can't trust these white people. Um, but Helen looks him in the eye and says, Candyman isn't real. And he's like, Candyman isn't real and his world was blown he's like oh my god cool i have nothing to worry about Candyman is in jail that's awesome and mm-hmm. that pisses off candy man because he goes no i am real and you just ruined like all my legacy and my work so now i got to use you as my conduit you have to be my new conduit or as he says be my victim mm-hmm. <laughs> which i love be my victim mm-hmm. um so now real quick let's jump into the legend of Candyman and his backstory because his backstory is messed up yeah um and we don't actually get more on it until the sequel for Candyman, which i have not seen and we'll do another episode about it but for this one we're just <laughs> going to talk about what we're given so Candyman um was a son of a slave who became a prosperous uh his, his father was uh super rich because they mass-produced shoes during the civil war um at an early age uh candy man was accepted and by white society he was a well-known artist he was sought after mm-hmm. to paint portraits for wealthy landowners and their children. And he ended up getting commissioned to do one for a very rich white man and fell in love with his white daughter. 
and fathered a child with her. And just because, you know, it was 1890, I believe, Candyman was set up by a lynch mob hired by the same woman's father. They cut off his right hand, uh, which I want to touch back into in a minute. I think Chris might have some background about the right hand thing. Um, they smeared him with honey stolen from an apiary, and he basically got stung to death. And then his corpse was burned, and his ashes were scattered across the land on which Caprini Green was built, which, which makes sense why he would haunt Caprini Green. It, 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 that's his ashes were scattered there, so it's like his soul mm-hmm. was haunted there. Now, mm-hmm. um, mythology-wise, Chris, there's something to me about the right hand. Maybe it's like the right hand of God or something, something if, biblical about that. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. I believe. I mean, I don't don't quote me on that or Google Google check me. But I I I what I got from that was sort of well, first of all, from like a logical standpoint, that was probably his painting hand too. But um, you know, if your right arm offends you, cut it off. He was accepted by white society to a point as long as he knew his place you know and then when he crossed that line they cut him off literally yeah like how much can you punish me you cut my hand off cover me in honey i stung to death and you gotta burn me like geez like right just kill me Mm. (laughs) i don't need to go through all those steps um so he comes his background is, is painful it comes from pain uh, uh, he fell in love with this woman and they had a baby and of course she doesn't get punished no I mean the worst that she maybe she did get punished she might get slapped around a little bit but she wasn't getting her arm cut off and, and hung and, and, or not hung but stung to death by bees from the apiary um, so that's Candyman's background um, so we first meet Candyman in a parking garage because Helen finds out by, from Bernadette, her black best friend, that she's going to get pr- uh, published in the paper because of her experience at Caprini Green and, and mm. uncovering the truth of the murder of Ruthie Jean. And she's in the parking garage and Helen is confronted by the real candidate. And he tells her that because he discredit her, uh, she discredited his legend that blood must be shed, innocent blood. Mm. And Helen blacks out and wakes up. And this is a really, really gripping scene. Uh, Miss Vanessa Williams shut it down in this for me. Where was her Oscar? Um, she mm. wakes up in Anne Marie's apartment. She's covered in blood. She has chopped off the dog's head. By oh, Anthony. yeah. And baby Anthony is missing. Baby Anthony is gone. Yep. And Helen has no recollection. Uh, but Anne Marie, once she wakes up, goes for that ass, baby. Anne Marie goes after her and, and gets ended up cut on the arm by the same little butcher knife. Um, I, I can feel the pain in Anne Marie yeah oh yeah well remember too with this scene when she wakes up she's like covered in blood she doesn't know what's going on and then she sees the big butcher knife and she picks it up she picks it up and walks through and that's when she you know so she could have left it on the ground and been like i don't know what happened but she picks it up so of course she looks guilty and vanessa williams gets the whooping her ass maybe she whooped that ass oh yeah yeah Granted, I'm not going to lie, when you wake up and you're covered in blood, your first thought is, let me pick up this object to defend myself. <laughs> she didn't know where the hell she was. That's true. But That's um, true. Vanessa was giving it to us in that, that oh, yeah. scene because we could hear from the time Helen wakes up, Anne-Marie screaming, and then yeah. when she, they do that little walkthrough, and you just see her holding onto the crib and just shaking it. Oh my gosh, it's chills. Yeah. Chills. 
because the, the director, to his credit, credit, really sets us up nicely with how much baby Anthony means to Anne-Marie. She does, mm -hmm. when she first meets Helen, she's holding the baby. She says, we're not all like this. I'm going to raise him right. He's not going to know this life. Um, he's going to do everything right. And she's a single mom and she, she yeah. works. So when baby Anthony goes missing, that is her world. And just the sheer, yeah. you can feel it from her gut. Like, and could you imagine from Anne-Marie's perspective, you trusted this white woman and then she came back and not only did she kill your dog, but she took your baby. Like, I don't think I'd ever trust another white woman again. Even like <laughs> when the, when the police finally come, she kind of like attacks the police. We, uh, almost. I'm, I'm like, I can't remember. I'm talking about Anne-Marie. When the police finally come, she kind of like attacks the police. Like the police have to grab her. But that just shows yeah, just how desperate she is and, like, how out of it she is. It's kind of like all y'all are responsible. You're all responsible yeah. for this. The police, now you show up. You mm -hmm. don't care before. Yep. And, and this woman has yeah. killed, maybe has killed my child. And, and uh, yeah. it's just, it, it, it was so heartbreaking to watch. That was, and this is why I feel like even without Candyman existence, this would be a damn good drama. Like, this would be just an interesting drama, oh, yeah. drama piece. Um, about the the life of residents in Caprini Green, so mm -hmm. because of that, Helen goes to jail, and she doesn't really she doesn't understand why. And I I yeah. kind of love I know it's because she blacked out and she's hypnotized, but the fact that you know we've seen the videos where white women are spewing hateful racist mm -hmm. things, and then they get you know in trouble and they're crying and they don't understand yeah. why and they victimize uh, victimize themselves, and it just seems like it's such a perfect an analogy for that. Mm -hmm. like I don't know why I'm here Helen's just like what what's going on can I make a phone call and it's like girl you you're like being arrested for possibly kidnapping and murdering a baby mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you're not the victim here um and one of my favorite scenes because it just I can't believe it happened Helen gets a one phone call and she of course calls her husband and we get a shot of their bed and it's empty and it's 3 a.m in the morning and the phone is ringing and ringing and where is trevor mm -hmm. trevor is not home i would be so pissed <laughs> right <laughs> where are you so, and like we as um, the audience we already know that he's out you know being fast he's out with them young girls because there was a comment that set us up in the first act about, you know, your students are kind of in love with you and a little joke that they had, but it sets the audience up very nicely to let us know, okay, he, he, she cannot trust him. He's not going to be there for her. She's by herself and on her own. I need Helen to get on her, her bullshit because I'm just like, your husband is professor. He doesn't mm. have to work late at the office. <laughs> and like, if you met him, you were a student, you already know how he gets down. You know where he's at. Not at you all. Get him how you get him how you what is it? You get him how you keep him, or you keep what is it? You lose him. Lose him how you get him. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Honestly, I bet there's a Helen before Helen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Though he's he is totally he's totally at fault for that. But yeah. the thing that took me out was she was so calm and she was like, "Well, where were you when I tried to call you?" I'm like, it would have been hands on motherfucking site. Oh I'm yeah, you already here. going to jail. You might as well go I'm, to jail. For I'm, up good. I'm up here for, uh, catching a murder charge for something right. I did not do. Right. And you out here? Oh hell no! Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then, and then this, they get home. You guys, Helen. Finally, Trevor shows up, and he gets her home, 
and she's taking a bath and he's like hey i gotta head out and grab some work i'm like are you serious right now just like, useless useless trifling you mm-hmm. you're leaving me when i just this thing just happened and you're gonna leave me to go grab some work i really wanted her to be like are you are you like, right stay with me um i i'm shaken can't you see i'm not doing well and you know it, he wasn't going to grab some work <laughs> and it probably used to be so easy back in the day like before email and cell phones oh, yeah. for men to say no i have to physically leave to go get it okay all right <laughs> yeah exactly and uh just so trevor leaves which um causes uh candy man to come and find Helen again and uh he basically hypnotizes her again and he he holds up his um his hook to her neck and she bleeds and passes out but Bernadette at this time our lovely Bernadette shows up and she happens to be our first uh black death in the film uh outside Mm -hmm. of you know Ricky Jean the one that we can see Bernadette shows up in the apartment she's got flowers she's there to console her friend when her husband isn't isn't that what we're supposed to do ladies and um she gets murdered by Candyman, aka helen and helen's framed for the crime and and her husband gets home and she she um is taken to a she wakes up in a separate bedroom with the cop watching her and runs out and sees poor bernadette's mutilated body all over the floor and she's still she's holding a knife because she grabs mm-hmm. a butcher knife to protect herself from Candyman, and again she's found again with a knife and i'm just like girl yeah come on girl you can't win you can't win this <laughs> So then she is sedated and she's taken to the psychiatric hospital. And we learn that she's actually there for a month because she's heavily drugged. So Candyman can't really come to her because she's heavily drugged. But um, mm. she's taken off her meds and, and she has an interview by the psychiatrist, Dr. Burke, to prepare for upcoming trial. And she decides, okay, if, if you can't believe my words, then you're going to have to see it for yourself. And she says Candyman five times and she's in the air. And mm. Candyman appears, and he kills Dr. Burke. <laughs> yeah. And then he does this, like, vampire, like, dip out of the window. <laughs> <laughs> right? That came out of nowhere. I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, I loved it, but I was, I was like, what is, like, he's like, shoom, and he just back, like, back first goes out the window, which right. opens it up for Helen to escape, but still, it's just like, what was that? <laughs> so funny. I just don't understand if he could appear out of nowhere why he needs to like fly out the window <laughs> well they were probably they were trying all kind of new you know techniques they had the drone and now look candy man can do his own stunt so there you go <laughs> listen six <laughs> stretch that shit stretched in 1992 right right it was pretty funny i'm not gonna lie um so but that allows helen to basically escape she she climbs out on the window ledge and then she she goes uh, to a, the floor below her and she takes the clothing of uh, one of the nurses there and she wears the clothing and, and just like a white woman is able to walk right out with right no out. one noticing. <laughs> like, <laughs> y'all worked in this psychiatry hospital for a month and you should know all your coworkers and you, <laughs> you don't think she looked new? <laughs> right. Like, like she, what, she didn't hide her face. She's just wearing a different clothes. I don't get that. Right, but right. Well, she walks right out and... Um, she ends up going to uh, her home. She ends up going mm-hmm. back home to see her husband, Trevor. She's still in love with Trevor. And there she finds Trevor with <laughs> the young student. She's painting the wall. It's such an ugly color. I couldn't get over this. It, I was, like, was, I the, it was that Pepto-Bismol ugly. She was not wrong. 
Which one is you painting my my house this ugly ass color? I would be so Yeah, mad. y'all deserve to die for this for sure. Right. <laughs> right. And he's sitting there letting her do it, knowing that it's ugly. Turning the shit into the Malibu dream house. Right. Yeah. Like what and then of course it, it, uh, Helen makes a comment like, What did you th- what did you think was gonna happen when I when I got out? And he's silent and he goes, Oh, I was never getting out and you knew that. So you were already moving mm-hmm. one person in, knowing damn well yep. I wasn't gonna come out. And just I when I watched this scene, I really wanted more. Maybe it's because I watch way too many Tyler Perry movies, but I was like, <laughs> Right, right. and give me give me a scene, woman. right she's just so calm and she picks up the phone it's like okay call him and no one moves and she doesn't do anything i was like if you already like know you're going down for murders this is the time you get your couple of licks Mm -hmm. right (laughs) like but she lets them go and it's disappointing but it sets us up later i guess for trevor's real death it's still not Mm -hmm. as satisfying when trevor does die it's not but we'll get there and it happened. Um, mm-hmm. So Helen runs out of the apartment and she makes it to the bridge and 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 she's talking to Candyman and basically she's like, "All right, we had a deal. You told me if I come with you, you'll let the baby go." At this point, baby Anthony is is still alive. Candyman, as mm-hmm. we, we see, he's in his lair and he's feeding him, which, like Chris touched on earlier, he's keeping the baby alive. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want a family. That's how I felt. Yeah, just that last little image of her holding the baby. and yeah. Well, not a last image, but at the climax, her holding the baby and him holding her. It just mm-hmm. seemed like this was his morbid way of getting what he was denied. Yeah, you know, while yeah. The, the fire is like burning everything around them. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense because he not when he died, the woman, the white woman, she probably went on to have the baby and he never got to see his mm-hmm. baby. So he must have taken the shining to Anthony because Helen and Anthony had a little connection there. Mm. Oh, so he was just rebuilding the family. I get that. I get that. The family man. <laughs> and in the and in the second one, he, you know, I mean, it's been out for 20 years. He's coming after his great-granddaughter. So I just think that, mm. yeah, I just think that that sort of just supports the theory. Just just like a little inside, I auditioned for Candyman, too. And, like, a friend of what? mine is in what? it. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it in forever. But, yeah, I auditioned for Guys, Candyman, too. Yeah. We didn't know that. We just, we just, uh, we wanted Reagan to come to the show because she's a huge horror fan. And also she's directing the next great horror franchise, Charcuterie. But this is <laughs> That's awesome. Right. You've got a direct Candyman. What is the audition process like for Candyman too? Please. Oh gosh, I just we just went there and there were like a bunch of kids there. So Chris, when you mentioned it, I was like, I haven't seen it in twenty. I haven't seen it since it came out. But I was like, wait, weren't there kids there? That's right. I auditioned for that movie. Yeah, we were just there, and you go in and you audition and you leave, and you know. That that was it. <laughs> Clearly, I didn't get it. But yeah, anytime like there's, you know, I was an actress at the time. I came to Hollywood in 94. I think that movie came out either 94 or 95. It had to be 95, something like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, every kid uh, probably auditioned for that film, especially every black kid, you know, so yeah. Yeah, every black kid at that time was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Too. 
Oh yeah. Ah, that'd be so great if you could be in the new Candyman 2020 part two. I know, right? Let's go back. Mm -hmm. Um, we're putting this message out to Jordan Peele and Nia DaCosta. There you go. When you do greenlight <laughs> the sequel for Candyman 2020, Reagan Gomez is available. There you go. Absolutely. Rage. Or I could, or I could direct it. Either way, hey, that that that's yes, fine too. Exactly. She would there love to go. direct the sequel. Either way. There you go. <laughs> Hit her up. Um, yeah. So so Helen goes back to Cabrini Greens um, to find uh, Candyman and make a deal. She will surrender her soul to ensure the baby's safety. And this is where I <laughs> this is where the tables have turned because Helen is now trusting this murderer. And mm -hmm. the fact that he's going to keep this deal. And I was like, so he'll murder people, but you think he's not lying about possibly not giving up the baby? Like, you think you're just going to have a deal with this guy? Mm -hmm. um, he, uh, that's how I came up. I was like, you're, you're good enough to murder people and to haunt people for years, but you're not, like, clearly, to me, he was never going to give up the baby. That wasn't an option. Like, at this mm -hmm. point... Helen's fate is sealed. It's been sealed since the beginning of the movie. She is going to die. Mm -hmm. um, and there, and so was the baby was intended to die, too, because what happens yeah. is Mr. Candyman pours a bunch of bees into Helen's mouth, um, taking, I guess, her soul or immortality or, or something, just putting bees in her mouth. I don't really understand that scene. Like, what was the point of her kissing with the bees? Does anyone know? I... I don't know. I saw that as kind of like a transference or like an imprinting. Like that yeah. was just like imprinting on her. That's how, that's how I, like I took it too. Like, yeah, I, that's how I took it too. Like, this is how I died. You know, my death is like legendary. You know about it. Let me give you a piece of myself, which is my death and like the bees. Like now we are connected forever. Yeah. Ooh. Like this is what's going to, like, this is what's going to make you immortal versus somebody that I just killed. Who's just yeah. Dead yeah so and a little fun tidbit there i mean anyone who knows anything about Candyman knows the story but i'll tell it again in case you don't tony todd's agent put a clause in his contract that said every time he got stung by a bee he would get a thousand dollar bonus he ended up getting stung about 23 times and he made about twenty three thousand dollars in bonuses oh wow uh, Mark I didn't know Beale, that. okay good lawyer good good agent oh whatever. yeah for sure um, because those are real bees now, in his I've, mouth. Oh yeah, no, it's it's kind of like that story is kind of like famous on its own. Like it, they literally put all those bees in his mouth like that and on his face. And oh yeah, it could never be me. <laughs> oh no, no. Maybe on maybe on the arm, but in the mouth. Oh Hell no, 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 absolutely, absolutely not. Even the face. <laughs> Even the face is a little, uh, I don't know, definitely not the mouth. And there are a lot of freaking bees in his mouth. A lot of bees, and they're in there, like in the back of the throat. I'm like, you swap oh, over, yeah. Peter's up your ass. Oh, yeah. Like, they oh, have yeah. a beekeeper who, um, who, who I guess is a pretty famous beekeeper for the industry, and he's putting the bees to sleep, and then putting them in his Tony Todd's mouth and trying to keep oh, them together. God. No, no, baby, there's not enough money in the world. I don't know how Candyman 2020 is going to look, but I'm, I'm like, yo, you could just, you know, CGI it at this point. It has <laughs> to be CGI. Yeah, the bees are CGI. CGI. I okay, can, good. okay, good. I, can, I don't, they probably don't have any live ones just because like bees are endangered and that's not really cool now. But yeah, yeah I could tell from like the one bee that we saw in the trailer that it was definitely uh, animated. And it also puts your actors at, at danger. Like I'm like that, 
Oh, for sure. Because people are allergic to bees and stuff. Oh, yeah. What if Hell you yeah. didn't know that? He could have died. Like, Look, for a movie. Yaya, Yaya was like, no. No bees. No bees. I'm with it. Like, nah, y'all don't need me to have real bees. Yeah. You're not doing all that. Yeah. Um, and also, spoiler for you people, I did end up looking it up on Tony Todd IMDb. He is credited on Candyman 2020. It does not say what role. Oh, that is great. I love that. I love that. It may be a cameo. It may be he's actually returning as the voice. We don't know. Because if you think Tony Todd, he, again, hasn't aged in forever. Oh, no, not at all. And his voice is so iconic. His voice, like, he just has, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, sexy butter. Oh, um, yeah. Six four, sexy butter. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what role he's playing, but uh, IMDb spoiled it for us. I mean, he is in there in some capacity. Uh, well, that's great. Speaking, at least. Um, so uh, Candyman ends up taking. Uh, oh, sorry. So after he pretty much puts bees down her throat, um, she sees a mirror, Helen, a mural that of Caroline Sullivan who is the lover of Candyman, and she bears a striking resemblance to Helen. Oh, mm-hmm. no, it actually is can, uh, Helen is reincarnated, uh, yeah. reincarnation of Sullivan, um, which is, is very clear. So it's not that Hel- that Candyman is just chasing a random white woman. It's Some just, random person, yeah. It's fate. Uh, she was reincarnated as this woman, which goes back, which is kind of sad if you think about it, that from the beginning of this movie, Helen's fate was sealed. Um, mm-hmm. She was always mm-hmm. going to die. She was always connected to this. There was no way forever for her to get out of this. It was just, it was going to happen. Um, yeah. So, so Candyman went after his lover, and it goes back to our theory of like he's trying to rebuild his family with his baby, baby Anthony. And so he puts them in this garbage fire, this pyre. Um, they wake up there, and he says, "Hey, we're gonna be um, emulated here through this bonfire." Uh, what happens is Jake sees Helen, and he's kind of, "Oh shit, she's escaped." And then he sees the Candyman hook, and is like, "Oh, it's Candyman!" And inside mm-hmm. this giant pyre, this bonfire, as Helen called it earlier in the movie. And um, he tells all the Caprini Green people, they're here, let's go get them. And they start burning down the pyre with Helen and baby Anthony, unbeknownst to them, inside. Mm-hmm. There's some weird shots of Helen who's able to see through all the wreckage at Vanessa right. Wall, that Anne Marie. But they can't see her. Mm-hmm. They can't, she's just looking with a sad grimace on mm-hmm. her face. Um, but uh, Helen ends up like pushing Candyman away. She gets away somehow. And it's like it's like army crawling through this this fire this <laughs> right, thing, right. with a baby. I'm just like right. ah, that baby's inhaling smoke. That baby's dead. Or but she 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 does it, and she gets a, a giant fire um, wood piece on her back, and she's on oh, yeah. fire. You guys on this fire her whole body. Yep, she's whole on fire. fire. But she crawls out and passes the baby. Right. <laughs> while she dies. She dies. while she dies. <laughs> burnt. She yeah, yeah. Chokes on her own body burning. But Anne Marie gets the yeah. baby back, so we don't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, then there's a funeral for Helen, which Trevor shows up to. And I'm telling you guys right right now, as my friends, if you ever see a man <laughs> show up to my funeral who did me like that, you kick him out. You do not get to come to my funeral, sir. Well, he shows up with the girlfriend too. Yeah, right? with the girlfriend. I'm like, oh, the fucking gall. <laughs> <laughs> oh hell no, like. Right. I, I died the most da- painful death, like slowly burning, inhaling my own fumes as I go. But you show up with the hooker, <laughs> right? For sure, right. Broke our family up, and he's so sad. And and she didn't have a lot of people at her funeral. 
Carol, either because they really believe she was a serial killer or, um, I mean, she killed Bernadette, so I guess yeah. that's her only friend. Yeah, um, that's But true. then we see the long line of Cabrini green people coming out, and, and mm-hmm. now Helen is not turned into this evil thing. She's this martyr. She's a martyr because mm-hmm. um, she saved baby Anthony, and, and, and um, she's she gave her life pretty saved, much. Yeah. She gave her life. Yeah. Yeah. She saved baby Anthony. And so they're like, all right, we're cool with this girl. Yeah. Um, so the residents attend her funeral and pay her respects. And Jake, this is so disrespectful to me. He just throws Jake it in there. Has, he just tosses it in there. Like, it like hits the ca- it hits the casket all loud. <laughs> yeah. I'm just oh. like, wait, what? <laughs> like, all right. That's hilarious. Um, it's hilarious. It was it was crazy. Then we we get to the this we're at the end of the movie, guys. Um, afterward, a grief stricken and guilt ridden Trevor is in the bathroom, and he is saying Helen's name now five times. And Helen's vengeful, like bald headed spirit appears and kills Trevor with a hook, leaving his body to be found by Stacy the whore. Com- <laughs> I completely forgot about that at the end. So when he started saying it, I counted two. I was like. Oh my God! Is this is this happening? Yeah, that was Helen, that was a cool Helen. little twist. Right, that scene not as cool as always bothers me. <laughs> 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 that scene just always bothers me just because just some of the some of the choice and no disrespect, very talented actor. I don't. It's, that is a very hard scene to make work. Like yeah, it's a hard to read. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even attempt to write it because I just would not know how to make that work. But <laughs> yeah. like, every time I see this movie, and he's like. Helen. Helen? <laughs> that is oh, so Helen. funny. Like, <laughs> just the, inf- the inflections just, wow. But, um, because Helen iconic. has a really scary name to be saying with right? Candyman. That has some, yeah. like, base in it. Helen. Helen. <laughs> but I kind of did like the de- the delivery he gave because he's not necessarily calling her. He's just kind of like in his own grief and just saying her name. So it it takes you a minute to figure out, oh my God, is is this happening? And of course it is it is happening. So And yeah. he gets he gets the death he deserves because he oh he's yeah a dick. But it's still not as satisfying as in that moment. I'm like, she deserves this little bitch over here who's not oh, yeah. deserves some of, a piece of this too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I guess that's not following the rules of now the fol- uh, folklore that is Helen. Helen has hmm. to say her name fine time. Um, I really want a spinoff of, of Helen just like killing unfaithful men. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> that would be great. Wife Helen showing up. It's, it's mm-hmm. Especially if you move the girlfriend into your house and she is cooking you dinner while wearing no bra, and your house is Pepto Bismol pink. <laughs> I got something for his ass. I'm there you go, Helen. <laughs> That's okay. why my, my girl Helen. <laughs> I'm summoning Helen tonight. We summoning. That's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I got some for that me. ass. Trevor, I'll get Helen. Yes, you heard me. <laughs> it's like a tale that you tell your husband's like, you know, if you do this, she gonna come get your Helen's ass. gonna come for you. That's right. Helen is coming for you. Mm-hmm. But that brings us to the end of the movie. I do want to touch upon a few things before we wrap it up. Um, this movie has been, uh, Tony Todd did say he wanted to play Candyman because he really wanted his own fan of the opera. 
for me, the scene mm. where Helen is embracing with um, Candyman, it's kind of like Beauty and the Beast. It's very yeah. much like Beauty and the Beast, um, especially in the cartoon version of Beauty and the Beast. And I don't know when Beauty and the Beast came out. I feel like it came out the same time. Around the same Be- time, like 91, yeah. 92, something like that. Yeah. Beast does wear this big like coat and he's very oh, yeah. tall and gaping. Oh, yeah. And um, mm-hmm. and Helen does have these beautiful shots of like the cinematography in her eyes and stuff. So to me, it was giving very much Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say also do, 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 let's see what's on my list so um, in the in the documentary Horror Noir um, Ashley who is the, the writer for the inspiration for the documentary she also wrote a book based on it too before the documentary she does say that there's the trope the issue with this movie that makes it problematic is it kind of goes back to the King Kong theory which is this big yes. black man and yeah. attacking mm-hmm. this white woman mm-hmm. but again and I'm like the alternative of that is that he is hurting black women and I don't want to see that <laughs> like I don't want it I don't want to see black men hurting black women I don't mm-hmm. so there's really no win or <laughs> there's no winning in, in, in a story like this unfortunately mm-hmm. um there was a huge gap after this movie you guys um, after the 90s specifically where black people disappeared from horror uh, last year, Chris and I, we talked about um, Scream, and I know she did last yeah. summer, and there was there hasn't been a movie like Candyman since mm-hmm. then. Um, we do have some upcoming horror films, Spiral, the story of, what is it? Shoot, I forgot. What's the Spiral movie, guys, that Chris Rock is doing? Spiral. Oh, yeah. oh, that's the book that's of the saw. saw. The, the yeah, saw. The saw. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Um, Fire book also, of saw. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I also want to give a shout out to the movie Thriller, which I believe was Dallas Jackson. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on that Netflix had, right now. Yeah, that, that has a black Sorry. woman, which, yeah. Okay, but come on, but come on. Did you watch it? I did. I... I, I I mean I I enjoyed it. I thought that it was. <laughs> I watched. No, it. I liked it. No, I I like the theory. I, li- I like yeah. the overall Chauncey, but Chauncey again is a name. I'm like Chauncey. <laughs> I'm not shaking my boots. Yeah, so, I enjoyed. I enjoyed it. Wait, I definitely felt. Oh my god! I did see that. They're in high school. Yeah, like in LA. In school. I did. We did yeah. see that. Yeah, I said yes. We did see that. Yes. Yeah, and I felt like a very like prom night sort of mm-hmm. throwback. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's a really kind of like slept on movie. I just yeah, check it out. I think it's still it's, on Netflix. It's definitely enjoyable. And then when this film came out in ninety two, toward the mid to late nineties, that's when um teen slasher films became a thing. Like Scream, they were yeah. not necessarily teen, but young people. I know what you did last summer, the faculty, like kind of those kind of horror high school type movies kind of had a resurgence. And I love them. We yeah, love yeah, those yeah. movies. We covered them last season, but um, they're very white. Oh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Oh, definitely. There's yeah. like, there's the trope of the, the, either the one black girl or the one black yep. guy. They always die though. Always. We, we have, yeah, we have a little sprinkle. Maybe there's a rapper, an R&B star. You know, we talked about Rob Oh, Digga. definitely. Well, there's Rob Digga, Usher, <laughs> Brandy. Usher. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, for people like me, for even like, you know, Aaliyah and Queen of the Dam, unfortunately, for people like me, it's like, okay, you're at the audition and then Aaliyah walks in or Kelly Rowland. And it's like, well, fuck, now, what the hell am I even here? It was very much like rappers and singers were getting all those jobs. Getting all those jobs. Oh, yeah. 
not to blame them. It's not their fault that there is such right, slim right, pickings out there for us. Oh yeah, but oh, um, yeah. we do have. I mean, I we're gonna talk about this later in the season. Reagan, feel free to come back. But Ma Absolutely. was actually really exciting for me. <laughs> Did you? We like just Ma? watched that the other. We just watched that the I other liked day. Ma. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> the memes are great. just amazing. <laughs> It's definitely like the kind of, if you like talking to the screen, which I do, and a lot of other Black people do, then it's a very enjoyable, you know, experience. Like, oh my God, why is this happening? Girl, what you, it's very, it's very that. I feel like Ma is our first Black, like, villain for horror. Mm -hmm. Female, female, as a woman. Yeah, Um, yeah. I, I liked it. I really didn't enjoy it. It cracks me up. It is kind of cheesy and gapy in some areas but um, I was I was here for here for it completely um so we have spiral coming out we have antebellum that obviously got pushed back due to corona um yeah. I still don't know what that movie's about I'm I like is, it, is it yeah is it kindred or like what what's happening I have no idea and I think that that's probably intentional because they probably want to stop the Keep comparisons to yeah, yeah they probably want to stop the comparisons to Kendrick from getting out of hand um, mm-hmm. before the movie gets to sort of be its own thing. But yeah. like, I like horror and Janelle Monet, like sign me up. All the yeah, time. I love Oh her. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited too. I, it is Kendrick though. I mean, like it's going back to whatever it is, yeah. but don't let me go came out. I didn't get to see that. That's also Blumhouse. That was um, a horror movie with black people in it, to be fair. Oh, um, I didn't see that one. Yeah, it came out. It okay. was there and it went. Okay. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. I wasn't really interested to actually watch it. But I will say, this is not technically a black horror film, but Invisible Man has recently come out and, oh. Baby. Oh, yeah. We watched that the other day. Yeah. Let's talk about all this. <laughs> For a second. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am I'm glad he no. didn't die. <laughs> I know. I'm glad die. too. I thought he was dying. Yeah. I thought he was going to go. But, yeah. Um, Sorry, that's a spoiler alert. You guys haven't seen Invisible Man. <laughs> yeah, I am president of the Lee 1L Hive. Lee 1L, James <laughs> Wan. Anything they do together, separately, in an alternate universe, I've seen it. I've loved it. Um, yeah, Aldous Hodge. And we had Edwin on. We had Edwin in our Edwin show last podcast. year. Oh, delightful. Nice. So delightful. Distracting. Please handsome. go listen to that episode. <laughs> we had Edwin Hodge. So handsome. In person. Just so, oh. The whole family. But Edwin was there in person. He was talking all about, um, oh my God, what is it called? The, the, what? the Purge. The Purge. I don't know why I can't. It's the quarantine brain. He was talking about the Purge franchise and he was talking about his brother and we're like, your family is just so talented. Like, you're did you guys, so did you guys watch um, Underground? He was so good on Underground. Yes. If you guys show. Oh my God. Honestly, he one of the, so good. One of the biggest tragedies, I think, in entertainment history is that that show didn't find another home after WGN. I was, honestly, I was shocked. I was shocked because that show was excellent. It was so good. Is it streaming anywhere? Do you guys know? I think it might, I might have seen it on Amazon or something. I'm going to have to find it. You have it? You can't find it? No, I thought Uh, I've been looking for it. I can't find it. So that show was so sorry. damn good. But the Hodge, the Hodge brothers, my God, what a ridiculous. 
Um, yeah. So Invisible Man isn't a black horror film. It is a horror film with black people in it. But um, mm-hmm. Alvin Hodge in Invisible Man um, yeah. kind of takes the be- black best friend role, but he doesn't die. So, <laughs> but he does. But wait, he so- are you okay? Are you okay? Are oh, you for okay? sure. But like, who was he? Was he? I was trying to figure out. How does she know this man? What? Wh- where did they meet? Was that? Same. It was the r- most random friendship. And people on Twitter were like, that's her sister's ex-husband and that's her sister's uh-huh. daughter. But I don't remember that nah, conversation that ever sense. happening. What yeah. a random friendship. I thought that was just had, her sister's friend or something. I think it's just a sister's friend. They had a, they had the um the live stream on Twitter and Lay, is his name pronounced Lay? Am I getting it right? I've been saying Lee for the past like ten years. <laughs> okay, I don't right. know. Well, the, the director and writer um, was yeah. live tweeting along, and someone did ask that question, and I can't remember what he said verbatim, but he said something like, "It's a friend of the family, basically." Like, yeah. Okay. Well, everybody I know, everybody was black watching that. Was like, how the hell did they know each other? Well but, enough for her to move into his house with his daughter. But honestly, that makes sense coming from a standpoint where you're trying to get somebody out of an abusive relationship. You don't want to find someone for them to bunk with that, you know, their abuser is going to know right off the bat. Right. That was the whole point. I mean, we'll we'll do an episode on the visible man, but that was the whole point of her not going to her sister's house. And that's why she was perturbed with her sister coming over because he, her, Adrian knew her sister and she didn't know, um, of this family and that that's huh. why she was supposed to be protected there and that's why she it's still like weird that. it's still weird it's i weird. enjoyed it yeah, for absolutely. the bill but it's very weird because it's like if you know this woman has an not only an abusive um husband but like very abusive right. to where she had to run away <laughs> in the middle of the house you're gonna invite and you want to come, come live in your house with right your here? daughter with, with your daughter kid? it was still weird i don't yeah. think so um, <laughs> but we need on the Oh, sorry. I was going to say, to that point, though, him having a daughter, that might have made him a little bit more sympathetic to her situation. Maybe. I can see that, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Either way, it gave us, like, two hours worth of Aldous. Uh, Aldous, there you go. Yeah. Legs and refrigerator. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, and, and then I was like, where's his, <laughs> when he ran in in the middle of the night, I was like, Where's his do-rag? They don't even got him in no do-rag. This ain't real. Do-rag, the daughter ain't got a bonnet on. Right. You know, like, whatever. What is going on? And, and she has to share a bed with the crazy, the crazy right. woman. I don't That's know. another oh. thing. I was like, oh, okay. You don't put, if you don't put a little pull-out in that office, no. <laughs> why am I sharing the bed? Right. Either way, right. this is not the Invisible Man podcast, but we will do <laughs> an episode on the Invisible Man. So that was yes. Candyman, you guys, 1992. Um, I want to go around and give final thoughts on Candyman 1992. Let's start with Chris. Um, I actually, I saw Candyman 2 before I saw the first Candyman, I believe, and that might have been the first horror movie that I uh, yeah that's probably my earliest memory of horror so you know thank you to all the creators all the actors um everyone involved you know it's not a perfect franchise but it's kind of like a time capsule of its time though I'm sure people were making um very astute observations about it at the time of how it could yeah. be better um I'm glad that it exists oh yeah Rate my life in my career so thank you <laughs> Reagan 
I'll just kind of piggyback off of that. Um, you know, films of that era, you know, when I got old enough to be able to pick out the movies that I wanted at Blockbuster because we went there all the time, you know, films like that, you know, the people under the stairs, like those films of like the early, early nineties before I got into my teens, you know, really hold a special place um, in my heart especially for my love of horror. And now that I'm a, you know, content creator of my own and I'm, I'm creating, you know, these stories in the horror genre, you know, you take what you love and you make it better. You put your own spin on it. You see the mistakes that films that you love made, the tropes that they have, and you can build upon that. So without films like Candyman and films like that, there would be nothing for me to build upon. So films like that are my foundation and they're, they're always very special to me. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy it's around too. I'm happy that they're redoing it and I'm excited for Chris and I and other women like us, you too, um, Sade, like to, to, to make the, you know, to create, to continue the legacy of, of the horror genre. And for my final thoughts, I think Candyman is a, a near perfect horror film. I think it's a very well-crafted story script. Acting is immaculate. Um, and directing is sensational and cinematography. Um, I'm not understanding why it's not in the same conversation to me as a Hannibal Lecter. Um, I don't understand. I think why we know why. We well, we know why. why. We know why. It should be in the same uh, yeah. conversation as a Hannibal Lecter. Tony oh, yeah. Todd should be in the same bracket. Oh, yeah. um, the character mm -hmm. of Candyman should totally be in the same bracket as a Freddy Krueger or a Jason. Mm -hmm. Iconic. He's a wonderful. It's an iconic, iconic role. Oh, yeah. We don't have those conversations. We can break that mm -hmm. down at another time. Um, I'm so excited for the spiritual sequel um, that will hopefully <laughs> come out at some point this year. If you're listening to this, anyone at Monkey Paw, if the June date doesn't happen and the October date doesn't happen, please just release it on BOD. Let yeah. us watch it. Do not hold it off any longer. I know you need your coins, but I'll pay the $20 to rent it, I promise. Yeah. Um, and outside of that, it, I, I love this movie. I'm, I'm glad I watched it as an adult and I didn't see it any younger. I feel like mm -hmm. I got to watch it with a new understanding of the world. Mm -hmm. and we're talking about housing projects, gentrification, racism. I got to see it through a lens of understanding. Um, and I think it's a very smart social horror film. Um, Can I say I something to too, really oh, quick? Oh, go ahead. Yes. For, for like, um, you know, what you were saying about how, you know, you're happy that you saw it as an adult and so many of these films, I didn't realize until I rewatched them as an adult, whether it's Candyman or Boys in the Hood or whatever, they talk, they were talking about gentrification back then. And of course yeah. I was a kid, I didn't really understand or know what it was, but now rewatching as an adult, it, it, they're talking about gentrification and all those kind of things that are like commonplace, you know, conversations now. Yeah, and I saw Tales of the Hood when I was a kid because my cousin was evil and made me watch it. And I barely remember as a kid just the <laughs> remember the one with the with the evil governor or the mayor or whatever the politician, and he had that painting. Oh yeah, black oh yeah, the plantation. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. And I watched oh, yeah. it now as an adult, oh, yeah. and I was like, wow, this is so much. Like this evil white governor and and the the, mm -hmm. the plantation slave yeah. painting. And they come alive at night. And there's so many layers. So as a kid, it just scared me because it's just like these dolls. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. But now mm -hmm. as an adult, seeing it through that lens, I'm like, they were talking yeah. about so much here. Oh, yeah. And oh. that 
film, like we can kind of laugh at it because the cheesy, you know, CGI or in the acting and whatever. But when you break down those stories, even the story with David Allen Greer, who's so good, yes. but like yes. through the eyes of a child, his father is a literal monster yeah. and like transforms yeah. into a monster. So yeah, those stories were, you know, they, they, they were really deep stories really deep stories and I encourage all of you especially if you're listening go back and rewatch those stories with a different lens with an adult mm -hmm. lens um I watched like I said I watched most of those movies when I was a kid and you see it differently you just see the horror you see the fear you don't see the layers of, mm -hmm. of everything else underneath them it's just mind opening um so I, I want to end this I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. Just go popped ahead. up in my mind. Like, I think that's yeah. something that why I think black horror is so important because for films like um, Tales from the Hood, we're so used to laughing at black horror. Oh, it's stupid. You know, when you think about, you know, Leprechaun, there was like a Leprechaun in the hood and everything <laughs> is in the hood. Like when we get our own version of these stories and we laugh because we know they're going to be cheesy. They're going to be written by white people. It's going to be crazy slang. No one uses. And like, you know, so I think it's important for, you know, Jordan Peele and for all of us to be able to build upon the legacy of black horror, because it's not a joke we can actually make real stories that connect with people. And it's not the black version of this, the black version of that. Yeah. It, these are our own stories and they matter. Yeah. And that's so important. That's why I really like the Blumhouse model. Jason Bloom mm -hmm. says basically for a, a movie to work on his production company, if you take out the monster, if you take out the horror element, it's still got to be a really damn good drama story. And that's what oh, I yeah. feel about Candyman. Mm -hmm. I feel like if there wasn't a Candyman yeah. and we just focused on the gangs and the Caprini Green housing project, um, this is still mm -hmm. a really, really great movie. Um, and like you said, there is something that Black people, we get uh, our films when they're a Black film, usually it means there's more than two Black people in it. Um, it gets mm -hmm. oh, yeah. like not taken seriously. Like mm, it's going to be like satire, like what the Wayne brothers did mm -hmm. with a scary movie, which is brilliant. It's absolutely amazing. Right, um, right. Mm -hmm. Those are great. We love scary movie franchise, but Jordan Peele bringing back true natural like black horror um, mm -hmm. and Mia DaCosta we're so excited for you I know yep. it's going to be amazingly yep. grounded and, and layered oh yeah and deliciously emotional um, connectivity to that so I am excited that the renaissance is turning back in our direction because we got a little hokey mm -hmm. got a little hokey there for a second and we're yeah. <laughs> just laughing our through our pain mm -hmm. and that's it I want to leave our audience off with your social handles, you guys, um, Chris, and, and make sure you plug charcuterie social, social, hello, social handle as well. Chris, tell the people where they can find you, where you're at. Okay, so I am Daryl Chris Co on Twitter, Chris Courtney Martin on Instagram. I know I should consolidate those two for branding purposes. Um, and right now I'm actually looking up the handles for charcuterie. <laughs> I think it, isn't it? I think it's charcuterie film or something like that. I should have it too. Yeah. Can we, can we edit this? <laughs> of course. I'm going to edit all of this. Okay. Okay. So, take your time. Charcuterie social media. Okay. So the charcuterie social media is charcuterie film at Twitter and charcuterie underscore film on Instagram. We can also, we also have a Facebook fan page, so. That's great. And Reagan, that. where can the people find you? 
Sure. It's Reagan Gomez everywhere. Um, I live on Twitter. I'm on Instagram sometimes. And of course, I will be directing charcuterie films. So you can follow, you know, the, the page, our page on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, and we have some really cool things that are in the works. Um, and I'm really excited. I cannot wait to start shooting this film. I'm so excited to be working with Chris. Um, but yeah, we, we have some really cool things that are coming up. And the last thing about um, charcuterie real quick is that you guys, it's written, directed, and produced by mm -hmm. women, women of color, yep. especially. Yep. Um, this movie, please follow the, the page keep track of it because it will get made and when it comes out I want you guys to know that you were the first to hear about it and um, it's a sensational script you're really going to enjoy this ride um Chris you were going to say something oh no just that I'm super excited to be working with Reagan and <laughs> this is like a dream come true and I'm really excited for you guys to see what we have yeah and you can follow After Horror um, uh, Twitter and Instagram After Horror. That's basically it. Um, we also have a website where you can go and look at no transcripts right now. I'm working on it. I'm under quarantine. I will do it. Mm -hmm. But we have a www.afterhorror.com where you can find out more about um, our hosts, our guest hosts, our episodes that we're shooting in upcoming episodes. Um, please follow and like the page. Please leave a review if you like what you heard. If you didn't like what you heard, just ignore it. You don't have to say anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm on Twitter at I at I am Charday Sellers and on Instagram at Charday Sellers. Um, you can follow me there. And um, I just want to thank you both for taking your time. It was two hours. It's a robust episode. I'm going to trim a little bit, but mm -hmm. I'm just going to give them almost as much as I can. Reagan's been in your car for two hours. My God, I hope you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm all right. I'm fine. <laughs> like, we wanna, I'm fine. It's like when they say, don't leave the children in the hot car. And I'm like, oh my God, how is Reagan doing? I'm <laughs> 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 right, okay. <laughs> um, but, but that's it. You guys are signing off here. Um, I don't know what the structure is going to be for the show. I'm trying, I might try to do it every other week or I might do just once a month to keep the quality of the show, especially if they're going to be long episodes like this. I'll figure it out mm -hmm. and I'll let you guys know. Um, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, Chris and Reagan don't go anywhere. I'm going to just stop the tape and then we can close up okay. later separately. But thank you guys so much for listening and um, I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Afro Horror. Please subscribe and leave a comment if you like what you heard. We want to send a special shout out to Jaren Hempel for our amazing logo design. Thanks, Jaren. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at, at @afrohorror or on our website, www.afrohorror.com. No copyright infringement was intended while recording this podcast.